0: Thank you for joining us today for the preaching ministry of Dr. Chris Aiken, Senior Pastor of Inglewood Baptist Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Inglewood is a dynamic ministry reaching Eastern North Carolina and the world with the timeless truth of the gospel. For more information, visit us online at inglewoodbaptist.com. Now, here's Pastor Chris with today's message.
1: We're in Hebrews 4. Let me tell you that I just came back from South Carolina. Jody and I had the opportunity to go and be with family at Thanksgiving. Now, don't get me wrong, you're family. We're family. We're family. We're familia. I mean, we're family. We're all together, but there's something different, if you'll allow me, about being around your own tribe. My brothers and sisters, my children, my grandchildren, my grandchildren, my grandchildren, my grandchildren. My grandchildren. But, I mean, to be, to be around them, there's something that, even though everything else is good, that's gooder. Everything else is be- that's better. I'm just saying, it's a good thing. There's almost a sense of, man, everything just feels right or righter right now than it did before. I'm going to put a word on that. Rest. You say, was it really restful like you laid around and took naps all the time? Did I mention grandchildren? That's uh, three months old and two years old. There's no rest in that. I mean, it's not like you stop activity. You're continuing to be active. You're continuing to do things, but that doesn't change that you're just more settled because, hey, that which is valuable to you is just kind of there. It's a settledness, and I'm calling it rest. So, do you understand what I'm talking about? I mean, did you, maybe you got to experience that at Thanksgiving. Maybe you had family around you and you just said, you looked around the room, you looked at the blessings of God and you said, man, there's just something about that that's just more special than it was without it. Or maybe you've looked around and thought you had rest and then it just felt like something was missing or incomplete, just not there. Maybe that was true about your, your faith walk in some degree. Maybe you've, you've done your best to try to pursue after this thing God has in store for us. And then you're like always there's just a little bit of unsettledness about it. Could it be that maybe we've, um, we've come to try to find that settledness in position or in possessions or in practices when the Bible always determined for us to find it in a person? That's what we're going to talk about today is the writer of Hebrews speaks to a group of people who knew themselves to be chosen ones of God, to his his elect, his nation, the ones he had made promises to. He had promised them rest, and yet there was something unsettled because a rest remained. And he tries to bring clarity to them and I think has a message for us as well. We're in Hebrews 4. I want to begin in verse 1 and I want to invite you, if you're able, stand with me in honor of the Word of God. And if you're joining us from home, I'm grateful for your presence. I'm reading from the New American Standard Translation and hope you'll follow along with us. Hebrews 4, 1 through verse 13. The Bible says, Therefore, let us fear if, while our promise remains of entering His rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For, indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, And those who formerly had good news to preach to them failed to enter because of disobedience. He again fixes a certain day. Today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as has been said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there's no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Pause right there. Father, would you in these moments help us not only to understand, but to appropriate. Not just grasp what you're saying, but to yield to it. Holy Spirit, teach us what it is to experience this rest. And then find us quick to respond to the glory of God. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You be seated. Thank you for standing. If you'd like to follow along, there's an outline that's available for you on the app or uh, you can text notes to the number on your screen and you'll get that. I want to show you three elements of our promised rest, three elements of this promised rest, this thing God promises but has yet to be achieved by by the, the writer's audience, by God's people originally and by all those who are outside of the faith, this promised rest. I want you to notice with me these three things about that. Notice with me, first of all, the required faith. The required faith. See, that's what's missing here. Now, remember the context. Chapter 4 doesn't just drop out of the sky, but like an alien transport beam dropped it here or something of that nature. Chapter 4 follows chapter 3, where we began an extended warning passage, where the writer of Hebrews began to, in the context of it, to warn them against disobedience that, uh, to God that comes as not having faith, not trusting God, not believing what God said. And we learned that against everything in the Lord's heart, an entire generation of peoples died in the desert outside of the rest that God had promised them, outside of this land of God's blessing even after God had delivered them from Egypt. Now, in some sense, you and I process that, and we go, well, Chris, that kind of makes sense. I mean, after all, God made them a promise, they disobeyed, so of course, they didn't enter into it. Sure, that does make sense in that way. But the writer of Hebrews takes the argument a step further. He now says it's not just those who disobeyed who missed the rest, but those who actually went in. They, too, came short of the rest God had always intended. Look at verse one with me. He says, therefore, let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. Now you have to pause for a second and go, I thought, I thought the rest that he was talking about there was land. Hey, so did everybody here. They'd been captive in Egypt for four centuries Along comes uh, Moses and he brings them out. Then as that older generation died in the desert, Joshua now brings them over the Jordan River, over into this promised land where they conquer the land of Canaan and they disperse the tribes. And that's what they thought rest was. But if it was the land, didn't they already receive the deed for that? I mean, how could there still be a rest that remains if they had actually already gotten it? fact is it's not a place because they had received that and a rest still remained. Hebrews 4 verses 7 and 8 says he again fixes a certain day today saying through David after so long a time just as has been said before today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts for if Joshua had given them rest he would not have spoken of another day after that now follow his argument here He says, if the rest was in the land, if the rest was what Joshua had provided for the people, why did David more than three centuries later talk about a rest that they had not yet obtained? Why did David talk 300 plus years later about a rest that they had failed to experience when they had already experienced the land? See, the fact of the matter is, David did, more than three centuries later, pen Psalm 95 under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he talked about a rest that it had eluded them. And he said, it's important that you figure out what it is. And apparently, Joshua had not given that to them. So it must be that this rest that he talks about which is important for us to grasp the writer of Hebrews puts so much emphasis on it we need to figure out what is he talking about <clears throat> It must be more than a place and according to the writer of Hebrews it must be more than the preached or the heard word as it's preached In other words, more than knowledge. It's got to be more than just knowing that a rest exists. That can't be enough. Look at verse 2. He says, For indeed we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. So here's what he said. He said, Just hearing the gospel, if that was enough, they would have entered it. But they, they heard it and that wasn't enough because they never entered in. Hey, hearing the gospel is not enough. That's not rest. Affirming the gospel, I believe that's the gospel. That's not enough. There has to be something that we do with the gospel, some way that we position ourselves under the gospel. We must have a belief in the gospel because only hearing, unless joined and united and composed together with belief, is not rest. Hearing is essential, knowledge is essential, but it's not effective until it's joined by a doing. Because what we do is always evidence of what we believe. Romans 10 verse 17 reminds us that faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. But faith and hearing are not the same thing. We hear the good news, but faith is when we yield to the good news. And that apparently is part of this rest he's talking about. Notice two more things about rest that are important. Because what we're trying to do is identify what is this rest that God's trying to draw us to. First of all, notice that it's his rest. Look at chapter 4 verse 1 again. I just want to accentuate a couple pieces here. Therefore, let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may have come short of it. Verses 3 to 5. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he said, as I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. All those works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. So we know it's not a place. We know it's just not a preached word. We know it's not just knowledge. We know it's not just affirmation. And we know this rest he's talking about is in fact the same rest that God himself entered. It's God's rest. It's not man's rest. It's not something we can create. It's the rest that God himself entered. It's the rest that God himself provides. Now, here's what it's not. It's not that God ceased from his activities. Can I just say to you, growing up, somewhere or another, some bad theology made some terrible cartoons. Because I thought when you got saved, all the cartoons had us taking cloud rides and playing harps. Like you'd watch the little kitty cat when he got blown up by something, he would go to heaven. First of all, we all know cats don't go to heaven. Sorry if that just threw you off. But if they had gotten, some of you right now, you already hate me. Don't hate me, I'm going to get to that. But he gets to heaven and he's on a cloud ride. He's playing a harp. He's never played a harp before in his life. He's just riding around on clouds. He's looking at stuff and going, cool. And that's not heaven. And that's not God's rest. You say, well, how do you know it's not God's rest? Because God never ceased working. Jot this down. John 5, verses 16 and 17. The Bible says, for this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing things on the Sabbath. But he answered them and said, my father is working until now. And I myself am working. Question, pop quiz. If the father, if this rest meant God ceased all activity, what's Jesus talking about? So see, God's rest can't be stopping all activity, yet it's still God's rest. The Bible goes on and tells us that God's aware of everything going on in the world all the time, all at the same time. Proverbs 15 and verse 3, the Bible says the eyes of the Lord are in every place watching the evil and the good. That means that God, He hasn't stopped acting. God hasn't taken a, a, a celestial siesta. God's not sitting up in heaven taking a, a nap or in some amusement aspect of His being. The Bible says God's active and working in the world today. So somehow God's rest can't be ceasing, I'm about to get tongue-tied on that one, can't be ceasing all activity because God hasn't ceased to be active. So this rest is in fact God's rest and it's not a stopping of activity. But here's secondly what it isn't. It's also not past, but it's present. So the rest isn't something that happened, but something that's happening. Chapter 4, verse 1, let us fear if while a promise remains, present tense, of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. This rest is something that God provides and that God is still providing and it's something that we can experience and something we are experiencing if we have it. And it's not, in a, it's not in a set of practices. It's not in a place. It's not in a preached word. It's not just in knowledge, but it's in knowledge joined by belief. It makes possible this rest that God has given us. And it must be important because the writer of Hebrews says, be careful that you enter into it. Now, it's one thing to know that one of those exists, but to live like you know it exists is really, really, really important. So catch this. If a relative, here's an idea, if a relative, and you all probably have rich uncles. So if a relative gave you ten million dollars, some of you are thinking, I'd definitely get that PS5. I'd do it, I'd get it, sure as the world. I'm telling you, Christmas would be good. I a relative gave me $10 if a relative gave you $10 million, but never told you about it. How would it affect your life? You'd be like, well, that's no good. I got to know about it. Sure, you have to know about it. So it has to be graciously given, and you have to know about it, and you have to believe it. So same uncle, also the crazy uncle, also the one that you avoid at Thanksgiving. But that uncle comes up to you and says, I gave you $10 million. You went, nah, I don't believe that. That's just like Publisher's Clearinghouse. Like you send me an envelope tell me I'm a multi-gazillionaire. They still do that in envelopes? They still do that? Or is it just email now? <laughs> Thank you. I, could, I almost heard you. I heard a murmur. So here's the, here's the, <laughs> I collected that one before I said it. You're welcome. Anyway, so you get that publisher's clear and that tells you you're going to be a multi-gazillionaire. You don't believe that. You're like, sure. I'm not putting a stamp on that thing and tell you, I know, I don't believe it. So in order for you to benefit from this thing that's given, you've got to know it's out there. You've got to know it's been given to you and you've got to believe that it actually does what it says it'll do. That's the required faith. Now let me show you secondly, not just the required faith, but the implied urgency. The implied urgency. At verse 1, did you notice in verse 1 where we left off, he said, let us fear if any one of you come short of the rest. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I see stuff in the Bible that seems inconsistent, and I pause. I go, wait a minute, why does it say that? Because we know that in the Bible, more than 300 times, the Bible says, fear not. Or, don't be anxious, or do not fear. And yet, here, he says, hey, fear! Be afraid! Let us fear! Well, if he's cutting against the grain, there must be something about this that's so significant that he really trying to make a point. I know everybody else said, don't be afraid, but I'm telling you, you ought to be afraid if any one of you have come short of this rest. Why would he say that? Because what's true is, is that the one thing you cannot afford to live without or die without is the rest of God. The one thing you cannot afford to live without is the rest of God. The one thing you cannot afford to die without is the rest of God. You can afford to live without a lot of stuff. You can afford to die without a lot of stuff. But the one thing you cannot afford to live without or die without is this rest of God that he provides. Here's what he says. You can't live without it. And you certainly can't die without it. You need it. Hebrews 4 and verse 7. Notice what he says next. He says, he again fixes a certain day today. Saying, through David, after so long a time, just as has been said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And then look at verses 9 and 11, drop down to there. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall. following their example of disobedience so there's a couple of implications let me grab them for you and just point them out verse 7 he says God has fixed a day that word fixed means to appoint or to designate or to determine God has determined a specific day for us to respond in other words it's not a general call hey whenever y'all feel like it whenever it's good for you when you think you're ready then do this that's not what he says he says it's a specific, designated, today is the day. I was trying to think how best to illustrate that. and I was reminded that when I was, a little, when I was a little boy, I was allowed to go outside and play. Boys and girls, outside is what happens when you turn your screen off, and you go back out past the car in the garage, and then you just keep going. And if you've got a bicycle, you'll find one outside there, and then you... Right. Now, my parents must have been the most neglectful people on the planet. Do you know why? They would just say things to me like, these were my instructions. Go outside and play. Without them watching. I could go in the woods. I could take my BB gun. I could pretend I was a superhero. I was a superhero. I got to do anything I wanted. I could just go out there. The only rule was, is when mom called... You had to do what she said. So my mom would, after a long day of playing outside, I remember one day, I don't have time for stories, but y'all can't miss this one. I remember one day, I dug almost to the hot place. I know, because I live in South Carolina, and I had a little shovels underneath the swing, and I was digging, and about what seemed like about 80 feet down, about eight inches, I got to the red dirt, and I thought, man, we're getting close now. We're getting close These are just what you do outside. Now, some folks don't get to do that because you didn't live high class like me, so you didn't get to go dig in the dirt, but I do that. But now, here's what would happen. About the time it was getting hungry time, my mom would come out the door and she would turn my one-syllable name, Chris, into a two-syllable word. Chris! Dinner! And wherever I was, whatever I was doing, she expected me to just finish doing that and just mosey on up to the house eventually. No! She expected me to stop right then. Why? She had designated a time. She had fixed the day right then. Drop what you're doing, grab whatever you have to grab, run into the house. She'd say weird stuff like wash your hands, which meant rush them under the water, wipe them off on your seat pants, and go sit out at the table. That's what that meant. But she, would, she warned it right then. Same word. He has fixed the day today and says you must enter into that rest why did Chris you're awfully excited this morning why do you care uh here's why because if God's fixed it and it says it's now and today and you delay you may miss it why well because the old statement's true delayed obedience is just disobedience And they missed the rest because of disobedience. Delayed obedience is just disobedience. Now, here's what's true. I've been a pastor a minute. There's sometimes folks will say, since God calling me to do something, wanting me to do something, desiring me to do something, but man, my life's a mess. I gotta get that fixed. I gotta do this. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do this. Or we sit there and we go... Those Christians are boring. I'm gonna live my best life now. I'm gonna do crazy wild things that only I can, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna live it up right now. I'm gonna sow wild oats, I'm gonna do all that and then I'll go, hey, that's, that's interesting. It's just disobedience. Well, actually, it's not disobedience, Chris. I'm still thinking about it. You're not thinking about it. You're lying. You've already chosen against God In that disobedience. So I'm not disobeying, I'm just delaying. That's disobedience. My mama said that's disobedience. She would sometimes punctuate that with a leather strap once used to hold trousers up. Hello? Only in my house. Me and one brother. You follow? Delayed obedience is just. So here's the idea here. You can't delay. God has fixed today and you must do something with it now. That's why verses 9 and 10 said, there is a Sabbath rest the way God rested and it's today. Well, what is the Sabbath rest he's talking about? Does he just mean the seventh day of the week or the first day of the week, the Lord's day when we celebrate? No, he's not talking about a day or something like that. The Sabbath rest is different than a day. It's different than knowledge. It's different than preaching It's different than a place. It's different than practices of religion. It's different than those things. It's a settledness that God exhibited after everything was done and he called it very good. Genesis 2 verses 1 to 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their host. By the seventh day God completed his work which he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his works which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day, and he set it apart, sanctified it, because in it he rested from his work which God had created and made. I thought you said God was still working until now. Just because he finished it then doesn't mean there's not stuff to do now. It just means in the perfection of creation, he completed it, and then for us to see, he settled, he rested, which doesn't mean stopping work, but it does mean something. It means that however God settled after he had completed everything as the creator, he settled, he rested as the authority over it. And the writer of Hebrews says in verse 11, we must be diligent. That word means to hasten, to be eager, to be zealous, to enter into this rest. In other words, not passive but to operate with a sense of urgency. Do you see the theme again? God's fixed a day today. Don't, Don't be passive. Don't rest. Be urgent. Be zealous. Have you ever noticed the things that we can be passive about versus the things we can be very particular about? I come from a family of, let's just say OCD people. Though I prefer to rearrange that alphabetically to CDO, okay? So, I've got a little of that affliction. Pull up a chair, this is important. At night, I don't like to go to bed if there's dishes in the sink. Some of you are like, me either, come by the house. But anyway, I mean, somehow if I walk by and there's a cereal bowl or an ice cream scoop or something, my hand vibrates as though the Lord might come back during the night and I get raptured to heaven and then whoever's left behind, Kirk Cameron and the crowd might come in and then suddenly they think less of us. But I feel like, well, you've got to wash it. Now, I have found it is legal to wash them off and just put them in the drainer. That's somehow okay. But in the sink is just not good. And I, I mean, I really, if, I, if there's dishes in the sink, I was dog tired because I just feel like I need to wash those before I go to bed. That's particular. And yet, there's some things that could go on and I'd be like, like I guess Jody locks the house up at night. I wouldn't try it if I was you. But I guess she locks it up. I don't check. I'm pretty sure she does. What kind of a weirdo is particular about the dishes and not particular about checking the deadbolt? Well, Me, thank you. You're like, you need counseling. True. True, are you offering? Yes, I need it. But now, that's just my little domestic stuff. Here's what I found. I found folks can be particular about crazy things, sports and their job and their books they read and can be passive about, well, like this rest. They'll say, well, I'm trusting the Lord with that. Here's how the statement gets made to me. I'm not trying to be ugly. Hear me, though. Chris, I'm just trusting the Lord's going to save my son. And? I'm just trusting. That's not trusting. That's passive. Trusting and what? Hey, listen. Listen. I believe the Lord will save your son too, but that won't keep me from telling him how he can be saved, what Jesus did for him, how he's walking away and distant from God, how God wants him to come back to him, and why he must do it right now. Well, I'm just trying to give him room. I don't, you don't push that on people. But he has fixed today and called it today. And there's urgency, Be diligent. And we go, he'll get to that. Listen, if my son were trapped in a building that was on fire, I wouldn't look and go, man, I'm just trusting the Lord. I'd risk everything to run right into the flame. I'd put it all on the line. My health, my wealth, my everything. Everything. To just try to get him and bring him to safety. And that's something of a burning building. We're talking about eternity. How could we be passive about the gospel? and particular about dishes in the sink. The Bible says today and be diligent. And by the way, if that's true for somebody else, as the writer of Hebrew points it, he's actually saying, what about you? See, people will say to me sometimes, they'll say, I'll ask them, do you know that you're going to spend eternity with him? They're like, man, I'm, I hope so. Hope's not a strategy. Hope's not comfortable. Hope's not a place of rest. Hope's, well, I'm 99 and 40, I'm just like a bar soap. I'm 99 and 44, 100% sure. Bro, you better get some .56 and get over the mark because you're not there yet. I'm pretty sure. He says, be diligent to enter. Fear lest you miss it because God is fixed. You see the urgency? Required faith, the implied urgency and then really the answer to the question that I just put on the table. Notice what me number three, the way revealed. The way revealed. How can I know for sure, Chris? I mean, because honestly, some people will say, I won't really know until I get there. No, what you mean is, is that <clears throat> you won't need faith anymore once you get to wherever you're going because faith is now sight. But just because you won't see it doesn't mean you don't know. I know I'm married. I haven't checked my marriage license in a while. I know my wife loves me, even if she hadn't told me. She does, but even if she hadn't, I'd still know. You say, well, how can you really be sure? Would you live with this? Of course you know. He says you can know. In fact, he reveals how you'd know. How can I be sure, Chris? Look what he says, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him. With whom we have to do. Here's what he says. You wouldn't even be able to trust your eyes, Chris, because you'd think you were in a spot, but your eyes might deceive you. Well, Can I trust my feelings? You can't trust your feelings because your feelings will lie to you. You got to know. How can I know? He says that there's something God gave us which has the ability to even draw a dividing line between our intentions you follow? He says it can tell the difference between our motive and our good intentions. Between, it can divide between joint and marrow. It can, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, this Word of God. In fact, if, if we take God at His Word, here's what we could learn. We could say that only the Word of God is sufficient to bring us to the God of the Word. Only the Word of God is sufficient to bring us to the God of the Word. In fact, if we're trusting anything other than the Word of God, we're going to come up short because only the Word of God is sufficient to bring us to the God of the Word. God's revealed how you can know, and only His Word can give us that with clarity. Only His Word can deliver us from an I think to a He says kind of faith through the Word. What does the word say? Well sometimes it rattles our confidence in things. For instance Jesus said in John 14 in verse 15 he says if you love me you will consider my commandments. Oh, That's not what he said. He said if you love me you'll keep my commandments. I got people I know that tell me they say well Cletus loves the Lord. No, he doesn't care anything about doing anything God says, but he loves the Lord. I go, no, he doesn't. How do you know? Because Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So well, I don't like that very much. I don't like it either. That's why we need the word, because if it's up to us, we'd come up with a, an appendix that said, except for Cletus, who could just do what he wants to do. We'd come up with something that would ultimately fall short, but make us feel good in the short term. But the Bible says that if you love me, Jesus said, then you will keep my commandments. John 14, verse 23, Jesus said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode. We will abide with him. And he who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Jesus said, If a guy doesn't keep his words, then he doesn't actually love the Father. Chris, that sounds like works based religion. You couldn't get there with a crooked stick. That's not what that says. What it says is if you love the Lord, you're going to keep his word. And if you don't keep his word, then you've got to quit lying to yourself. You don't love the Lord here's another one 1 John 4 verse 20 if someone says I love God and hates his brother he's a liar for the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he's not seen Chris I love Jesus I just hate the church hear me liar so well that's offensive offends me. But you know how I know that's true? That's true in my life. Could you imagine saying, I love Chris, but I hate Jody. I'll punch you in the nose. I mean, you're obviously mistaken. You ought to love her and hate me. But you can't love one and hate the other. We go together like socks and shoes, like peanut butter and jelly. Like Jesus and his bride. We fit together. Jesus says you can't love God and hate your brother that's weird and yet there are folks out there that would say I'm telling you what I I can't ever see I'm telling you they deserve whatever they got coming to them it doesn't bother me a bit they deserve that I'm telling you I don't I can't I won't even talk to them you got people in your life you haven't talked to in years and yet you saying I've decided to follow Jesus how is that possible hello Jesus says it's not possible. Matthew 10, verse 37. Here, this is the flip side of that. He who loves father or mother more than me, not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me, not worthy of me. He who does not take up his cross and follow after me, not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. He's lost his life. Who gives up his life for my sake, he'll find it. Jesus said, anyone who rates anything of higher value than me doesn't actually love me because I have to be first place period that's why we can never compromise the gospel with people that may share DNA with us we could never compromise the gospel and say listen it's okay with me that you're living in active rebellion against God no you're in a building on fire it's not okay I must be diligent for me and for others. Do you see? Well, Chris, I can't do that. I mean, who am I to say these things? You're somebody who's been bought by the blood of Christ and commissioned to that purpose. Yeah, but I don't feel worthy of that. I appreciate your feelings, but what does the Bible say? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, I'm the least of the apostles. Not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I'm going to be. No. I am what I used to be. No, I am what I am. And his grace toward me doesn't prove in vain or empty, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I but the grace of God in me. Here's what he said. I can't change where I came from. And my relationship with God is not about perfection of my own, but about perfecting of his own. It's Him molding and shaping me. It's obedience when it's hard. It's love when others aren't lovely. It's not rehearsing your terrible condition, but rather it's rehearsing His majestic grace towards you in full view of your former life. Your brokenness does not surprise God. It provoked Him to send His Son and to settle your debt and to make possible your reconciliation so that by the grace of God I am what I am and God wants us to enter into His rest 100% assured that that's who we are not by our achievements but by his assessment of us. And not you and I only, but also for the whole world. This isn't just something that you hear and you walk away from and go, that was interesting. Be diligent. Let us fear if. And enter in rest. Would you pray with me?
0: Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message has been a blessing. If today's message has prompted you to consider a next step with God, we would love to assist you. Simply drop by our website at inglewoodbaptistcom next, or give us a call at 252-937-8254 and let us know how we can assist you. If today's message was an encouragement to you, let me encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you consume this content. That really helps us reach a wider audience with the life-changing hope of Jesus Christ. We hope you will join us next week. And until next time, may the Lord bless you.